So in two weeks, we're going to be celebrating Pentecost Sunday, also known on the Hebrew calendar as the Feast of First Fruits. If you remember last year, I was in uh, Jerusalem in the upper room for the Feast of Pentecost, and all those crazy Brazilians came in, and we had a four-hour breakout of the Holy Spirit. It was incredible, and Martha was here and ministered uh, the Feast of First Fruits to you guys, and she's going to be doing that again this, this year in a couple of weeks. We're going to enter into uh, that feast at a very real-time application. But the word Pentecost means 50. And the significance of that is it is 50 days after the Feast of Passover when the Lamb is sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. Jesus reveals the spiritual reality of the type and shadow of that feast in this way. As the Lamb of God, he is slain at Passover for the sins of the world. Now, in talking to his disciples prior to the event, he explains that the event will set off a series of events, future events, that will culminate in the birthing and fruitfulness of God's kingdom plan. In John 12, 23, he says, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In one of his parables, Jesus also reveals that there are levels of fruitfulness. In Mark 4.20, he said, but for those that were sown on the good soil, the seeds that were sown on the good soil, are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold levels of fruitfulness. Now, Jesus at this time is speaking to a people who understood agriculture. Most of them lived as sustenance farmers, eking out a living on a small plot of dirt and producing just enough to eat, to pay their tithe, and to pay their taxes. And if they were really fortunate, they'd have enough to maybe sell some of their crop at market. They understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. You put a seed into the ground, it dies. It ceases to be what it was. It ceases to be a seed. It becomes a shoot. Breaking up out of the ground, it begins to reach for the heavens. It sends out both roots and branches, now becoming a plant or a tree or a stalk, all with the ability to bring forth fruit. Jesus, dead and buried, put into the ground like a seed, and in three days he springs forth out of the ground as the first fruit of the new creation. And for 40 days he sends out both root and branch, and then ascends to heaven, leaving behind a 100-fold-plus fruitfulness that he then plants in the upper room in Jerusalem. In Luke 24, 45, then he opened their minds. Have you ever had your mind opened? Pretty radical surgery, isn't it? (laughs) He opened their minds. (laughs) Yeah, jaws of life. There you go. (laughs) 
He opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness. I just want to put forth to you this morning the idea that repentance and forgiveness are both the root and the branch of the plant of the new creation. You are rooted in repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And listen, you aren't going anywhere in the realm of fruitfulness unless you're able to forgive both others and yourself. Forgiveness releases us from bondage. That repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And he says to them, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So 120 pieces of kingdom fruit tucked away in an upper room incubator for 10 days praying, waiting for the promise of the Father, and to the best of their understanding, pursuing the Holy Spirit. Then it happened. The spiritual harvest of first fruits begins. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, when the day of first fruits arrived, they were all together in one place, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Excuse me, high pollen count in this place today. You guys are awfully fruitful. Is that a trumpet? <laughs> what are we all doing here? The heck? The heck? Uh, most of us are familiar with the story. The sound and the power of the Spirit of God coming as the promise of the Father attracts the attention of multitudes of pilgrims who are in Jerusalem for the feast. And coming upon this magnificent scene filled with sight and sound, with wind and fire, power and declaration, they see this new crop of 120, the planting of the Lord, in a state of spiritual ecstasy, declaring the wonders and works of God in tongues that every people and nation can understand. You know, the miracle of Pentecost was not what they spoke, was the fact that everyone could understand what they heard. It was in the ear. They see fire moved by a mighty wind come upon each of these first fruits, and like the burning bush in the wilderness, they are not consumed. This is no quiet scene, no time of repose or meditation, no. This is audacious. I love that word. Rob gave us that word last week. Audacious. People in the crowd are yelling out, these guys are drunk! But Peter stands up and says, we're not drunk as you suppose. 
This is power and wonder. The Spirit of God has come. The promise of the Father has arrived. And the end result is 3,000 souls are added to the church. Now, I know most Pentecostal teachings kind of apply this to Peter's sermon, that 3,000 souls. If if that's true, then Peter's fruitfulness was 3,000-fold. I tend to think that the yield belongs to the church itself. I think it's a 30-fold yield, just as the Lord said, 30, 60, 100-fold. But it's not the numbers that are impressive here. It's the spontaneity and effectiveness of the planting and the immediacy of the yield. No longer is the fruitfulness determined by seasons and feast days. By programs and detailed planning, the Spirit has come and enlivened the church to a new and living way where our words and our deeds are empowered by the active and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling among us and in us through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we are encouraged in Romans 12:11 by the Apostle Paul, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent In the spirit, serve the Lord. This word fervent is a Latin word from fervio. It means to be hot, to boil, to glow. Hot boiling as fervent summer, fervent blood, hot in temper, vehement. They are fervent in dispute, ardent, very warm, earnest, excited, animated, glowing as fervent zeal, fervent piety, fervent in spirit. And that's just Webster. The Revised Standard Version puts it this way, be aglow with the Spirit. International Standard Version puts it along these terms, be on fire, be on fire with the Spirit. Then the message, it says this, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Keep yourselves fueled, and aflame. We were trying to decide in the first service which of the great evangelists it was who said, Lord, set me on fire so the world can watch me burn. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. God has given us the promise, the promise of the Father. Will you fully embrace it for your own life? Pentecost is coming. Will we be fruitful once again? The Father is looking for and expecting our intentional involvement. As he has pursued us, he expects us to pursue him and his promises. I want to give you an example of the life of a man from the scriptures in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament man's name is Caleb in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 5, where Caleb has received a promise from God. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. They allotted the land. Then the people of Judah, now Judah means praise, okay, so it's then the the children of praise, the people of praise, kind of keep that on the right side of your 
your frontal lobe there. Right, we're going to be referring back to this again. Then the children of praise came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb is now 85 years old, but his time has come. And he understands that the promise must be claimed. In verse 10, And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And I got to say, that's no small thing. During that 45 years, the only two remaining still alive who started at the 45-year mark, at year one, are Joshua and Caleb. Every other adult died in the wilderness. Only two survived. Even Moses never entered the promised land. So this is a big item. While Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. And here it is. So now, give me this mountain. Give me this hill country. Give me my promise. The Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Enochim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. The promise of the Father is for you today. Will you claim it? Lord, give me your Holy Spirit. Let me try this again. Lord, give me your Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the Father. It's for you. Lord, give me. Put a claim on it. Put your claim on this. Lord, give me the Holy Spirit. Give me my promise. If you never claim it, you'll never get it. The promise of God is imparted. Verse 13, Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord. Why is all this happening for Caleb? Because he wholly followed the Lord. He was not a part-time believer. 
He wasn't a Sunday and Wednesday night believer. He was a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day believer. He wholly followed the Lord, fully followed the Lord in word, in deed, in action, in relationship. He followed the Lord. So all the promises of God were his to lay hold of. Now, the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Abba. Abba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. So who gave Hebron to Caleb? Joshua did. Who promised it to Caleb? God did. We emerge into the promises of God through the blessing of God ministered to us by the people of God. We are active participants in God's plan and purpose. We're not sidestanders. We don't sit in the bleachers and say, oh, let's watch and see what God is going to do. He wants us on the playing field. In a few minutes, we're going to do just that. We're going to come and play in the fields of the Lord. (laughs) The promise of God is pursued, expanded, and maintained. It is often true that Uh, God offers us far more than he reveals by his word. You know, 36 years ago when the Lord called me, he didn't tell me about this. He didn't tell me that I'd go to 22 nations in the world. He didn't tell me about 220,000 souls that would come to Christ because they listened to what I had to say. They didn't tell me about the signs and wonders and miracles that I'd see. He didn't tell me all that. He just said, come on in. And I did. There's always more. Always more in Christ. Joshua 15, verse 13, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, among the people of praise. Carry up Abba, that is Hebron. Abba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Telemai, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debur. He just expanded the parameters of his promise. Now the name of Debur formerly was Kerioth Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kerioth Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Exa, my daughter, as wife. And Othaniel, the son of Kinez, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave Exa, his daughter, as wife. The promise of God becomes our sustainable inheritance. Joshua 15:18. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. I want my portion of what you've gotten from God. Now, how many of your parents would like to hear that from their teenage sons or daughters? Mom, dad? I want some of what you got from God. Would you pass that? Would you lay hands on me and impart to me a blessing this day? That's what Caleb's daughter did. Give me a feel. Give me some of what you've got. She got off her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? What do you want today? What do you want from the living God? What do you want 
from the Holy Spirit? What are the things that are burning in your heart? What's the answer you're looking for? What's the experience you want to experience? What are the words you need to hear? What do you want from a God who loves you? He's asking you that question. What do you want? Just tell me. Communicate with me and listen to me. She said to him, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. He gave her more than she asked for. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Judah. This is the inheritance of the people of praise, according to their clans. It's never enough to just see the land of promise. You must enter it. Then again, it's never enough to just enter the land of promise. You must possess it. You have to lay claim to it. You have to drive a stake into it and say, this is mine by promise and by right and by inheritance. I lay hold of it. I lay claim of it in the name of Jesus Christ. I bury my heel deep into the soil and say, devil, you got no part in my purposes of God. And then again, it's never enough to possess the land of promise. You must cultivate it. You must make it fruitful and then be willing to pass it on to another as an inheritance. God doesn't just bless us for the sake of blessing us. He blesses us so that we become a blessing. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3 through 8, he says, You must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Caleb saw in 45 years he burned with desire to enter in. He was fervent for the things of God. Jesus goes on to say, You must be born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, you can get weary wandering around in the wilderness of church life, waiting and hoping to someday in the great by and by to inherit the kingdom of promise. I don't want to do that. I don't want to wait. I want it now. Give me my portion. Remember, the scripture says that Israel was the church in the wilderness. I think sometimes that the church has never come completely out of the wilderness and into the promises because we lose our fervency. We no longer are burning hot for God, and we lose sight of his promises. Second Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all, how many? All. All the promises of God. All the, how many is that? Anyone got a list? Huh? Do we have enough books? Do we have enough paper to write out the promises of God? I mean, certainly you could list what's in the Bible, but how many promises have you gotten? How many promises have I gotten? How many promises do you know other people have gotten? And, and you watch God move. You know, all of those promises of God find their yes in him. That is in Jesus Christ. That is why it is through him. Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Yes, Lord, amen to your promises. Amen. 
give me a blessing. For thou hast given me the south land. Give me also springs of water. The south land, or the Negev, is hot. It's desert. A land without water, without the blessing, there is no life, no fruitfulness. Without the continued watering of our lives by the wellspring of life, we will perish in the land of promise. Some of the men came with me last year to Israel, and we went down to the area just above the Negev by the Dead Sea. And it's barren, and it's dry, and it's brown. And every so often you see a 12-foot-wide strip of beautiful green. And you go up this wadi, this little gouge in the middle of this mountain, and there's a little stream, little stream, you know, little waterfall. But that little bit of water just saturates the land out in both directions. And everything that that water touches springs to life. It's an amazing thing. Father, give us a blessing also. Give us springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. One thing you can be sure of is that when you're hot for God, you will get thirsty. And if you can look at your life and say that you're no longer hungering or thirsting for the things of God as you used to, then you're no longer hot. And I pray that we've not become lukewarm. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah. This is the inheritance of the children of praise. Psalm 76.1 says this, In Judah, in praise, God is known. In praise, God is known. Psalm 22.3 says, But thou art holy, O thou who inhabits the praises of Israel. Listen, when, when the... The music strikes and our voices lift up and our hands lift up and we're praising the name of the Lord. He comes and inhabits. He just clothes himself with our words and with our emotions and our affections. He loves to get saturated with what's coming out of our being. He inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 87, 7 says this, They that sing as well as they that dance, June, June, still there, yeah? Still dancing? Okay, girl. Shall say this, all my fountains are in you. All my fountains are in you. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty for more of God? John 7.37 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood, stood up and cried out, If any man thirst... Let him come to me and drink. Gentle and meek, mild. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Revelation 21.6, and he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, are you thirsty today? To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
It's free. No cost. I won't charge you a cent. Just come and drink. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say that to him. Come on. Come on. Let's do this thing. Come on. Let's come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. The source is Jesus. The cup is praise. The invitation is to come.